Hey everyone, welcome to the Coaches Corner University podcast. I'm your host, Paul Oneid, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Allie Gilbert, the boner queen, <laughs> which <laughs> I've been waiting all day to say that. And uh, so thank you, Allie, so much for joining. Um, you know, we connected a little bit online. We we're able to meet in person at Swiss uh, a couple months ago, or I guess last month now. And, uh, you know, you're someone just very magnetic personality, tons of energy, and I've been really excited to chat. So thank you for joining. Well, thank you for having me. And you're right. Swiss does feel like a few months ago. <laughs> it does. I feel like life has been like turbo mode since then. Dude, that, that was like, yeah, it, it's so weird uh, to think that mid-October was literally a few weeks ago. I'm like, what planet are we on? And now it's like, oh, hey, Christmas is here. Everybody throw out Christmas stuff. And I'm like, shit, it's going to be 4th of July, like tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we have a rule in our house that we're not allowed to put up Christmas lights until December. So, Oh, well, you, I would break that rule. But again, I keep Christmas lights up year round, so I don't have to put them up every year. <laughs> I did I did that until I got married. Because <laughs> I was just too lazy to, keep, to pull them down. Yeah, that's, that's me. So... Maybe start off, like, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, your journey to where you are now? Um, I know, I know your background is golf strength and conditioning, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's super weird. Cause like, everyone's like, so as a woman, how do you end up in men's health? Like, how does yeah. that work? And I tell them I have severe daddy issues and I've <laughs> capitalized on that, <laughs> but That's it, it's actually, okay. It's true, but you know, I'll, I'll get into why that's true. Um, not the deep why, like, of nobody course, yes, like, you know, into a therapeutic talk. But basically, I majored in exercise science in college, and like everyone, we want to work with athletes. So, mm -hmm. in my strength and conditioning internship, I was like, oh, this is fun, but it pays dick. So, mm -hmm. kind of have to like pivot here. And the town I grew up in, in Connecticut, Greenwich, very wealthy. Um, a lot of well-off people, it was the first town outside New York city. And I often, often say like, I did not grow up that way. I grew up normal because people are like, oh my God, you're from Greenwich. You must be loaded. I'm like, I wish, but I started working in a gym there out of college and trained a lot of guys that played golf. And I was like, oh, this is kind of like a sport because golf's a sport mm -hmm. and these guys take it seriously and they can afford to train. And I was like, this is interesting. Let me look it up. Cause I didn't know anything about golf. I played soccer in college and I found that there was a golf fitness certification through the Titleist performance Institute. And I was like, Holy yeah. shit, this is an actual thing. I'm going to go all in on this. And I literally did every single level they offered and bartered with golf pros in the area. Cause we had nine golf clubs to choose from. And I was like, this is cool. And I actually enjoyed playing some sport that I sucked at royally. Cause like soccer, the ball moves, you kick it. It's easier. Mm -hmm. Golf, the ball doesn't move. You would think it would be a lot easier. It's really freaking hard. You so I can hate golf. Yeah. I was like, wow, I fucking hate this so much. I'm going to keep doing it. And you know, do you still totally. play? I don't, I haven't played. <laughs> I think like 2015 was the last time I played. Yeah, I'm just not built to rotate. So I just, Dude, none, of, none of us are, I mean, it's yeah, but it was like a vacation. Cause you go out on the course and you're like, you know, on a nice, you know, few mile, uh, piece mm -hmm. of terrain and you get lost in that, but it is a time suck. Cause it does take like four hours and I'd rather go to the gym, but I yeah. learned how to play and it's great for business because for sure. clients would invite me out and you know, all of that, but all my clients were guys and I tend to get along better with guys because I did train many of the housewives in Greenwich who I could not relate to whatsoever. Like I am not a designer purse chick. I am like, oh, what car do you have chick? Like I like that type of stuff. So right. um, the general rapport with the guys was a lot easier and it came natural to me. And then I learned, well, they don't really study hormone stuff or nutrition. They know nothing. They don't even go to the doctor unless their dick stops working or it's like a dire emergency. So mm. Hmm, there's something there. So this is circa like 2011, 2012. Um, mm. After after going to Titleist in like 2008, 
And so my business coach at the time was like, you know what, there's something here as a female talking about men's hormones, just keep going with that. So that's what I did. And I learned as much about men's hormones as possible. Um, MySpace, I think was done. We were onto Facebook then. So I posted only on Facebook about men's hormones, nothing about female hormones and became sort of the go-to person for a lot of questions on testosterone and stuff like that. And men felt comfortable opening up to me because even though I'm a female, I'm still empathetic mm-hmm. yet still could relate to them. And I enjoyed it. Like I really enjoyed learning all about the men's physiology and stuff like that. And that's kind of how it relates to like the daddy issues is uh, I went to all girls Catholic school for 11 years. Um, It was very traumatic. It actually really wasn't, but um, my dad and I had a compromised relationship. He and my mom got divorced when I was two. And basically long story short, he's bipolar and everything. And so Mm -hmm. the way he acted and his behavior, I didn't want men to end up like him. So I made my pain, my purpose. And that's kind of why I, uh, dived headfirst into this type of thing. And long story short, again, uh, here we are now, I don't train people in person anymore. Um, my business is fully online. I've got three coaches that work with me and we specialize in men's health mm-hmm. and we partner with Merrick health to take care of the hormone optimization. And then we take care of the training and the nutrition and the sensitive conversations if guys are ever like experiencing ED or sexual performance issues or any of that stuff. But that's kind of how I landed in it. I just went to medical conferences and learned from as many doctors as I could and um, took courses online, spoke at medical conferences, just really to kind of be in that field and do everything I could aside from going to medical school, which I did consider. Um, Mm -hmm. It just I would not be able to do what I wanted to do career-wise. It'd have to be a full-time thing. Did you always kind of know that you were pivoting your business to online or was it just something that happened organically? Um, It it happened organically. I always joke uh, with Bedros, my biz coach, like I didn't want to do online coaching. This is like 2016. People start messaging me. How can I work with you? How can I work with you? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't do online coaching. Like, Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want to. Um, and I started using True Coach was Fitbot back then. Okay. So yep. I was like, I'll just start programming online. And like, I mean, I don't even remember how we build people back then. PayPal, I don't even know. Like, I just started offering it. And so I did half and half up until like 2020 was just easy to kind of go fully remote. But I really enjoyed the fact that I could work with people from all over the world and really people got better results online than in person. Yeah. Maybe that says something about my abilities as a coach in person, but like, you know how it is. You meet somebody at the gym. That's the only variable you can control. They leave and there's 23 hours in the day that you have no idea what they're doing. So when you're able to control everything um, and kind of like be a stalker to their life and yep you know, help them in that way. People got dramatic results, not only physical, but also like emotional and mental and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, if you're doing one-on-one coaching, which I was primarily one-on-one training after a while, it just becomes a friendship. And it's just more of an appointment that the guy kept to show up and then chit chat and do his workout. And people didn't really train that hard. Whereas online it's a whole different dynamic. So it's really interesting. So there's a few things that I want to point out. So you mentioned that you went to TPI for the first time in 2008. Uh, yeah, my level one was in 2008. And we are 2024 almost. So we're talking about 14 years. Yeah. Uh, so you're I'm- over you're, you're So if someone was to go online, they're like, wow, this woman is so popular. Like she does some really cool stuff. Looks like she's an overnight success, but it took 14 years. Exactly. Like I laugh now because like I've been on big platforms this year for the first time. And people are like, where did you come from? I'm like, I've been here this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but you've been in this forever too. And you just Mm -hmm. grind and grind and like 
obviously burnout is a thing and we all experience that, but it, it's really like, I think when people say, I hate the term finding your niche, I get why, because if you're in the first year or two of coaching, that's like such a foreign concept. I still personally will tell coaches, go work at a commercial gym and get in front of as many personalities yes. and orthopedic issues and disasters as you can. And you'll quickly learn who you like and who you don't like. Well, and sorry yeah. to interrupt, but I mean, that's, that's true. But at the core of it, every step of your business has been not necessarily looking at like what you wanted to work with at the time. It was more so just here's a fantastic opportunity for me to expand and to learn and just dial in on what's in front of me. Yeah. It's it I, I don't think like he didn't like wake up one day and was like, man, I really want to learn about testosterone. <laughs> No, you're right. That's funny. Like you're the first person to ever say that because it wasn't like that. It was like this weird yeah. organic uh, evolvement. Um, and the golf fitness population, like when you specialize, because everyone's like, you have to specialize because if you're a fat loss trainer, like, okay, cool. Everybody's a fat loss trainer. Like, what does that mean? Right. But Golf fitness is like, oh, I can charge more. I can market to a certain demographic. Mm -hmm. That brought me these type A pain in the ass street, like or Wall Street CEOs. I enjoy that challenge. Not everyone likes that type of personality, but high performers and stuff like I can learn from these guys. I learned so much about leadership and business. Not that I was able to duplicate any of that, but still you learn a lot and you have great sure. conversations and stuff. So it's like, oh, okay. Like I didn't think, you know, men's health would be where I landed. Like, I don't think any of us know that. And like, you look back as to when you started as a coach to where you are now, I mean, shit, I graduated college in 03. So I had no clue what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to work with athletes because it was really athletes or like gen pop were the only option anybody had back then. Yep. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what you tell people, but probably very similar advice because you can't just dream this up in a year. No, you can't dream it up in a year. And I think looking for opportunities is really important, but also, you know, at the core of it, we love learning, right? We we're just like immersed in learning new skills. Even when it came to golf, you're like, man, I really suck at this. I should probably learn how to play it. Yeah. I've been the same way. I went, you know, I did my undergrad. I graduated in 2005. Then I was in grad school till 2000 or sorry, I graduated in 2009. Then I was in grad school till 2013. Strength and conditioning coach, collegiate level, the whole way across was doing that until 2015. And then completely pivoted directions was working in disability rehab, then pivoted directions again, went into powerlifting coaching. Then I started, you know, getting back into coaching more athletes, now coaching more gen pop, now business coaching, now educating. And it's all come down to like, what are the opportunities here? What do I have to add value for? But also like, what will allow me to continue to keep learning and keep growing along the way? Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. It's like every, at every opportunity for us to grow as individuals, it leads to business growth indirectly. And oh my God, yeah. And you kind of you kind of snuck it in there that even initially you had a business coach. Yeah. Was that something that like you're like, hey, right away I need to have a business coach? Or was it like pushed upon you? Like what what prompted that decision? So I don't know if you know Tom Plummer. Um I don't know. So he, uh, we call him like the OG. Uh, uh, he used to speak for TPI. Okay. So he spoke about business for TPI and he um, ran speaking schools that I've attended multiple times, as well as like business seminars for fitness business. So he owns the National Fitness Business Alliance, which okay. I think he might've sold or I don't know, but um he, he, I think he realized I was, uh, operating without a father figure in my life. And he kind of moved into that role and mentored me. Um, and then I hired him officially. Cause I was like, 
okay, I, I would like what you're saying. Cause he was, he was one of the first people to help coaches realize you don't want to charge bulk for packages and do discounted packages and all of that. And that's where I first learned that. And I was like, holy shit. So I, of course, brought that to whatever gym I was working at the time. And they hated me for that. And they're like, that's stupid. Stop. Because I was like, no, you guys, we are very similar and professional to lawyers and doctors and they don't discount their hourly rate. If you buy 10 appointments with them, like, you know, and group and semi-private training and all of these concepts. And I was like, all right, he knows what he's talking about because obviously has proven that in different gyms and stuff. So he was somebody that I had for a very long time up until he basically retired. Um, mm-hmm. And then I I just never felt like I felt naked if I didn't have somebody fulfilling that role in my life, because I feel everybody should have that mentor and have somebody who knows something you don't, which no trainer goes through any formal business training unless you attend courses or you go to school for that. And so I hired Jill Coleman after that. And then that evolved to being able to hire Bedros. And my business has grown ever since, but I would still not know what the hell I was doing. And you, I'm sure you see it all the time, but I don't do business coaching, but I do have younger coaches now who will ask me those types of questions. Mm-hmm. They're still charging via Venmo or they don't know the tax code or like what they can write off. And, you know, they charge, they undercharge a lot and they don't know their worth and everything that I went through. And I'm sure you did too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Where now it's like, oh, we can look back. These are the mistakes we made, but these are also things we constantly had with us the whole time. And yeah. now I have Luke Lehman as my fitness and nutrition coach for six years. And I won't let him retire because I don't have to focus any energy on that. And mm-hmm. then with this, like, I don't have to guess. I just, you know, text Bedros like, Hey, what do you think of this? Cause then that saves me time from having to go look up something or learn it. And I don't have the time to make mistakes when they can be prevented. It's actually a big, I think, you know, you don't have regrets. You have lessons learned. No, I definitely regret not hiring a business coach before I did. Um, But I was kind of locked into this idea that I didn't necessarily think I needed one because my business was growing. And I was, you know, I still, when I started my online business, I was still working full time. So I didn't necessarily have some massive impetus to make a ton of money. And then all of a sudden I was to the point where I was like, oh, well, now I'm making twice as much online as I am in like in my day job. I should probably quit. And then when I quit, I was like, okay, I need a business coach because <laughs> I was just some guy who coached people and he didn't ha- actually have a coaching business. And I'm going to shock you a little bit. I didn't quit my full-time job till 2021. No shit. Really? Yep. I worked in that full-time job for six years. And yeah, so like I took some online clients when I was, you know, a strength coach, just because people are always like, Hey, can you write me a program? Hey, can you do this? And at the time I was, you know, ranked very highly in powerlifting in the world. So people were always looking at like, Hey, what are you doing? So it was an easy way to branch in. But I remember doing online coaching using email only word documents, yeah, Facebook messenger and charging 50 bucks a month. (laughs) That's so true. I think I hired Mike. You remember Mike Mahler? Yep. Um, I hired him in 2009. He was like my first and he would send me like email workouts. It's, but yeah, it's uh, it's just hilarious to go through. And like, just like you mentioned, I, I actually, I personally work well when I work with a business coach for a certain amount of time and acquire some skills. And then I work best when I trial and error them by myself. Yeah. So I, I worked with uh, a gentleman named Mark Morris. I worked with him for I think six or eight months. When as soon as I quit my full time job, I worked with him. We built out the mentorship. We you know kind of restructured my coaching quite a bit, and then I realized there was a ton of blind spots for myself in terms of time management and the things like that. The things that I teach others now and that I consider to be very myself to be very good at. And then now I'm at a point where. I have five coaches who work for me. I have an education platform and I'm like, okay, I'm at this level of growth where there's a bottleneck and the bottleneck is me. So how do I grow? Um, so I actually just signed on to work with Jason Phillips in the new year. Yeah. Um, Cause NCI and coaches corner have a very similar business model. 
So I figured if he can build NCI into what it is, and I can do even a 10th of that, I'll be in a good spot. Um, But this is all like, I think this, these are, these are conversations that don't necessarily happen all the time because people think they're industry secrets and there aren't. It's just a bunch of people who are willing to admit they don't know enough and they're not afraid to ask for help. You nailed that. And I, I think too, I was thinking about like, why, why is hiring a business coach something that we, we were like opposed to, cause I didn't realize I needed one. Cause it's just not yeah. like on our radar as like personal trainers. It, it personal training has never been thought of as a real career, right? It's true. So, why would you need a business coach to drive a fake career? That's just like a temporary hobby, you know, and now it's actually taken quite seriously. So it totally makes sense. But um, yeah, it's funny, like when you position it that way, because it, it's I, like an I, afterthought. I have a really funny question for you. Do your, do your like older family members know what you do for a living? No. Me neither. No one knows what I, my, my mom knows what I do. Uh, my dad, no idea. They, they know I like my niece who's 17 calls me an influencer. And I'm like, I won't take offense to that. Yeah, I was going to say that's offensive where it's coming from, but like, she doesn't get it. But then like anybody older, like I'll, I'll get referrals from like close friends, family. And they're like, so can you prescribe me testosterone? I'm like, no but you were told I could. Yeah. Okay. Let me help you. Like, no, but I can tell you, give you someone who can. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like stuff like that. But it's so hard. Like, like Jill talks about this all the time, Coleman, where she says her family thinks that she just makes money on the internet somehow and they have no idea. So it's like, you know, I usually, I usually whenever uh, I'm asked like, what's your occupation? I just put unemployed. <laughs> I should try that. That's a good one. <laughs> um, okay. So there's a really good question I have coming out of that. Obviously very heavily um, invested into social media, into the online world. Being called an influencer, it kind of sucks because the the connotation around being an influencer is one of being disingenuous. Yeah. One thing that I see with a lot of the highest performers on social media when it comes to actually running sustainable businesses is they remain aligned to their core values. How, like, maybe share some advice into how you've managed to do that while also cultivating a really fun and different persona that is eye-catching. I like that question. Um, Very early on... It, it's, I will say it, it's um, when, when companies approach you, they could be bullshit companies or they could be real. Like we're talking supplement companies, mm-hmm. apparel, like whatever it is. Um, I very much, my integrity will not allow me to say, yes, I'll take this. I'll take this. I'll take this. I think it's very, um, what's the word? Like not appealing, but uh, tempting. Mm-hmm. Tempting because it's like you get free stuff, you can potentially make money. It makes you look like credible if you're like, I have a code. The problem with that is people can see right through that if you have a code for everything. Mm-hmm. And I have said no to many companies for that reason because the supplement company I I use now. I don't even promote them. I don't even talk about them. It's mostly like if people ask, then I'll say, you can start an account with me. Full disclosure, I make something off of it, but these are very reputable products. Um, Other companies, like I I don't want to over promote. So if they're like, hey, we require like four stories a day, I'd be like, I'm out, you know? Is it a product I use? All the products I'm aligned with are actual products that I use. Mm -hmm. And either I built a relationship with the company or they've approached me about helping to promote their company as my social media has grown. I felt more like a fraud when I had some companies approach me when I had way less followers and and clout, if you will, because I was like, who am I to like promote this? You know, I, I don't feel comfortable with that. So I think that, 
you know, you have to be careful because it is quick, you know, and tempting to jump on the first opportunity. But as your success grows, you're going to get a lot more of those opportunities. And then you may be like, you know what? It's like switching hairstylists. Like I got to switch to this company because it's like better, but I really don't want to where if you stay in line with your core values and you're just, you know, for me, it's, do I use this product? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then it's going to naturally evolve to where you want it to be. And you can be a little bit more picky with who you want to work with and who you want to promote. Cause if it, it's got that ick factor, then I don't really want to be associated with that. And yeah, I, that, you know, I think a lot of people fall into the trap of building an audience for the sake of building an audience yeah. rather than building an audience for the sake of adding value to the people you actually want to add value for. And you know, when we were sitting on the business panel at Swiss, Ryan was talking about how you want to get as like you, the majority of your posts should be focused on getting eyes on you. And I had I had a lot of trouble internalizing that because I don't really care about how many eyes are on me if they're not eyes on me for the right reasons. Yeah. I feel like you've done a good job of doing both. How how like what's the thought process there? Like how do you how do you blend the two? Um, I don't, I don't know if I have a system, but I will say, uh, what has been told to me by people in person, when they meet me in person, number one, I'm the same in person that I am online. And I think Agreed. that's yes. huge. Thank you. And I take that very, very mm -hmm. to heart because you don't want to show up like nothing's worse when you meet someone in person and they're like, super weird or cold or like but how often does that happen a lot yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's very off-putting or mm -hmm. they have a really shitty handshake then then i lose all confidence <laughs> but we'll say like i love how direct and authentic you are and i always i feel very humbled by that statement because i don't feel i'm trying to be that way i just feel that's just me naturally so being yourself, I think you will attract those who resonate with what your message is and repel those who don't, or they will be invited to offer their opinion unsolicited and we call them trolls. So no matter what, like you're going to have both types of audiences, but I think being able to be myself and sticking with the message and, uh, like I, I tell this story about the trolls I got off Mark Bell's podcast, because that was the first time that I got completely slammed. And I do feel that many people who are building a social media audience think that we're just immune to all of these harsh comments. Mm -hmm. And it hit me really hard the first week. I walk in the gym, I'm literally about to deadlift. And like they dropped the first reel from the show. I was like, oh, cool. Like, I like how my makeup looks. Like, this is cool. And then all of a sudden, it was like hundreds of comments of how much of a guy I look like and oh, who the fuck am I? And like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, like, this is so vicious. And I yeah. get my notifications like on my Garmin. So it's like every five seconds, I have like, you know, you suck, you're a dude, you know, you're on trend, like all this stuff. And I was like, what is wrong with these people? Like, it, it was a little bit, shocking as to yeah. how hard it hit me because I didn't expect that. And when you think about where is that coming from, obviously men are triggered and it was men. That's why I say men. They were triggered by somebody who is more jacked than them, knows more about their hormones than them. So therefore I am a threat and mm -hmm. that really bothered them. And this is what a lot of my friends were saying. So there's two choices when stuff like that happens and this will circle back to. Yeah, no, 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 this is great. Yeah. Um, you can either stop and shrink yourself down and not continue. So then I would just not post stuff and not do podcasts and shield myself from mean people or confront it and then get through it. And now I wouldn't say I'm a hundred percent immune because no one starts that way, but now I can better understand and conceptualize where the comments come from. So like the other day, a, a podcast I did with Chris Cavallini, some dudes like, Oh, it's two dudes talking to each other. Who's the guy wearing the camo shirt. 
And now it bounces off of me. I wouldn't say like, but it's a little bit easier where I'm like, all right, this loser. So now I realize, okay, I'm going to continue with my message because for all the trolls that get upset, the number of guys that message me and say to me, thank you for spreading this message. And thank you for bringing awareness to these types of issues in men's health far outweighs the feeling I get with that versus the guys who come at me, because now I understand why they're coming at me. And the people who are grateful for it, they're a lot more fun. And it, it's just something that I think I had to prepare myself for. And I knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know it was coming that hard. But again, yeah. if I had long blonde hair and I was super skinny, they would say that I'm not qualified to talk about this stuff. So it's like, you got to be you. You know, I could grow my hair and lose weight and, you know, be really thin, but that's going to be for what to appeal to people that don't approve of how I look like, you know, there's always going to be people that are not for you, whether it's your message or how you look or how you operate, they're going to unsubscribe from your email list. Let them, you don't yeah. want them around anyway. So I think that goes back to showing up how you want mm -hmm. to show up and be yourself. Cause if you try to be somebody else, it's exhausting and it's going to like, it's going to show like people are going to show like, right off. Like it's so transparent. So yes, transparent. That's the word that I was looking for. Yeah. Um, yeah. That will come across completely fake. And then when you come across fake, people don't trust you. And when they don't trust you, they're not going to buy your products or your coaching. The, I think, I think there's a few things there. The, like I love, I actually really love when people come at me because Number one, it gives me an opportunity to, you know, back myself up and be like, hey, these are the reasons I have the thoughts that I have. It's yeah. completely different when they attack you as a person versus attack your ideas. And I always come back to like, listen, if you can't attack my ideas and all you got is me like, oh, he's got a shit mustache. It's like, listen, I fucking love my mustache. And if you can't figure out that what I'm saying has value, you're not my people. Um, but it's still like, I listen, I'm not nearly the audience that you have, nor have I had the platforms that you have. I could not imagine how that would feel for the first time. Just be like blown away by, Bleh. I mean, at least they said you're on trend. So you're super jacked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, none of them know, know how like hormone optimization works. And I literally said in the clip, I was on TRT. And a lot of the comments were like, yeah, we know. And I'm just like, but how, like, how are they saying, you know, and the camera obviously makes me look huge. So that's another thing. And I'm like, cool. If you meet me in person, I'm actually small. Like people, people feel weird saying, I don't know if this is offensive, but you're a lot smaller in person. And I'm like, I take that like with a compliment. I'm not a guy. If you say it to a guy, he'll likely be offended. Do I'm I look bigger in person? Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they say that like they dance around it. And so obviously uneducated people are making comments and they're like, yeah. And the Jay Cutler thing, like being called Jay Cutler, like 10 times, I was like, all right, now I have to make this a joke. So I started posting memes and photos of me and Jay Cutler um, and Luke, cause Luke, Luke looks like John Cena. So Jay and John he Cena. Does. So yeah, like I found a fit, a picture of Luke or John Cena and Jay Cutler together. And I posted that and I'm like, so this is Luke and I at a party, you know, that's terrific. if you make light of it, it's really funny. And then I actually saw Jay Cutler at the Olympia a few weeks ago. And I was like, I have to get a picture. Like I absolutely have to, because it, it's just the joke. And I'm like, dude, I have your haircut and I am you. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I'm trying to hold on to it still. And I was like, but I get called you by the trolls and like, you know, he put his arm around me or whatever. And it was hilarious because now I used that photo in my slideshows. Mm -hmm. And then this weekend when I was at O'Hearn's, I said, dude, do you know how many people call me Jay Cutler? So then he goes and films a story and he's like, I am live with Jay Cutler. like, And it just became a thing. But that never would have happened had I been like, oh my God, they call me Jay Cutler. Like, you know, and I shrunk down and just yeah. decided not to say anything but 
I'm like, hey, if you're gonna call me Jay Cutler, I'm gonna take it as a compliment because the guy is massive. Listen, lean, lean into it and just let yourself know. Like the more, it's funny to say this, but like the more negativity that you get, it's almost affirmation that you're saying something that needs to be said because it's triggering so many people. Um, how, what do you think has been the most impactful thing, let's say over the last year or so? Because it seems like, you know, you're traveling every weekend, you're speaking at multiple conferences. What do you think has been the catalyst for that? We'll say, I don't want to say like stardom, but like that little trampoline jump. Explosion. Yeah. Um, I think. Because this it's been maybe like the last two years, but really this year was like, you know, driving forward. It, it was hiring coaches. <laughs> I came to Bedros. Our first meeting was in February and I had tried to hire coaches before. I just didn't hire the right people. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, um, guys whose heart was not really in it and they needed, they needed more, I don't want to say handholding, but, uh, it was almost like their ability to handle certain conversations that were not even challenging, just like, how do I respond to a person type of thing? Um, was, was a lot as a business owner to have to train somebody in that. And it was, they were just not right for the job. So I was like, you know what, I'm never going to find coaches that are going to align with me. And I'm going to have to teach everything I know about men's hormones. I'm just going to do this all by myself. Stupid. Right. Pedros mm-hmm. is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you have to scale your business. You can't charge more and you can't make more unless you have others working with you. But if you are doing all the coaching, how are you going to do all the podcasts? How are you going to do all the speaking? How are you going to do all this other stuff that actually drives people to be exposed to what your business is? And I was like, yeah, you have a point. And um, I'm very lucky and grateful. I've got three amazing coaches who were all in our forties. Brian's actually 50. And I always point that out and he hates that, but He's shredded. They all walk the walk. They all yeah. have been doing this for so long that had it not been for them this year, I would not have been able to take all that time off because there's no way I could have kept up with programs and client emails and messages. So I think that was a big part of it for at least allowing me. And then I think um, partnering with a company such as Merrick Health, where they have access to a lot of different platforms as well. And then learning how to ask. And I think a lot of us are shy. Oh, thank you for saying that. Okay, yeah. great. Yes. Just ask. And I'm still getting used to that because we're conditioned to not ask for money as trainers, right? That's still very hard. Asking to, I don't know what the word is, collab or podcast with somebody or interview somebody mm-hmm. still seems really weird. But literally everyone that I've come across is like, you just have to ask. Because again, what's the worst they can say? No. Oh, yeah. Okay. So asking things. So I've asked people um, even just to get lunch or can I buy you coffee to connect and Mm -hmm. network, which only happens at live events, which puts the importance on attending live events. You're never going to speak at a live event. Let me correct myself. The odds of you speaking at an event that you've never attended and never really immersed yourself in the culture of and, and are not familiar with are probably low. So there's a difference between, Hey, can I speak at your event versus let me put the effort in to add value to your audience. And then maybe I'll get the opportunity to speak at your event, that type of stuff. I love that you said that. Cause like, you know, appearing on Dave Tate's table talk podcast was really big for my career. All I did was reach out to the booker and was like, Hey, Sheena, like, I'd really love to come, come on the podcast. She's like, man, we'd love to have you. No, and I was like, what? I was like, oh, okay, cool. I guess we'll I'll see you in Columbus. And I drove 10 hours to Columbus. I did the podcast and I drove 10 hours home. And I did it for no money because I wanted to connect. I wanted to network. I wanted to immerse myself in that. Because of that podcast, I got asked to speak at Swiss. Because I did a good job, I got asked to speak at the next one. So it's like these, these little things have you know a snowball effect 
on what you're trying to do. And one of the goals that I've set for myself as well, is like, I need to go to more live events because this is where the connections happen in the hallway of these live events. Yeah. The speaker quality is incredible and you're going to learn some stuff, but I'm at a stage in my career where those hallway conversations are the value for me. And I think so many people miss out on those because, oh, it's 600 bucks or, oh, you know, I have to travel here. Um, you know, we're going to Justin Kavanaugh's event in DC next weekend. Well, for us, that's a $3,000 expense for two days in Washington, DC. But I can almost guarantee that the knowledge that I'm going to gain, the connections that I'm going to gain, if we do a good job, we can leverage that into future opportunities and future income. So if people stop looking at it as a price to attend and rather an investment in something to move forward, I think that's where it unlocks. And shameless plug, you hosted a fucking, looked like a phenomenal event. It was two weeks ago? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It's all a blur. (laughs) <laughs> uh november 9th through 11th in in austin yeah it's two weeks okay. and when is it going to be next year around the same time i think the same weekend actually because october is already booked not not from a personal level but the different events in october between like olympia um some of my speakers already have gigs and stuff like that and the tpi is actually doing a golf fitness summit in october i was like well that's a wash so I think November, I don't know where exactly yet, but we're thinking Arizona, um, but it, it exceeded like all my expectations. Um, yeah. I don't know how much you want to talk about that, but it was, well, uh, I mean, listen, the, the stuff that I saw from there, the, the feedback that I saw from there, it's worth mentioning because, you know, it's a fantastic event. And, you know, if people want to attend Silverback Summit, you already started advertising it for next year, which is great. Yeah. Um, so you got, if you guys are interested in that, check out Ali's page. Um, now you mentioned, so you mentioned asking, you also mentioned, um, you know, bring me back, like the things that have propelled your growth, you mentioned hiring coaches, just to clarify, you still coach as well. Like you still have your one-on-one clients. I only have six. You only have six. Yes. Yes. Okay. Re- question that I pro- probably has never been asked of you. Do you wish <laughs> you were coaching more? Um, I like this at first. Yes. Because I was like, I do enjoy like sitting down and writing a good program, but I also had to make a very realistic business decision that my time is not best spent coaching. However, how can I impact people the same way? That was through what I'm doing with podcasts and stuff, but also through my event. And then in a in a way, coach people from an indirect standpoint, because some of the daily stuff, I've been doing this for so long that there's stuff I miss, there's stuff I don't miss, but I still, Pedros would love me not to coach at all but I still keep my hand in it with coaching. Like I think it's six or eight guys. Uh, Cause I do enjoy that aspect, but I don't know if I, I don't know if I could give up coaching the number of people that I, I fucking love coaching so much. It, it, it was hard. And, and like, I'm being careful with my words. Cause I don't want to seem like, you know, I, I don't like coaching anymore. Cause that's totally not it. It, it was very much a business decision that had to pull me. And now I will charge. Like if somebody just wants me, I'm like, I will do it. But for a very premium price, because it takes me away from being able to disperse to the other coaches and then to also grow the business. It's so hard to like work in the business and on the business at the same time. And that's like a really big um, realization. And your involvement into a business person or businesswoman, man, whatever. Um, it, it's, it's very hard. It, it's like it learning is. the entrepreneur stuff, learning the business shit. Like I never wanted to, but again, you have to, because if you have a good thing going, you want to make sure everybody's winning. And for me, it's very important that my team members are happy and they're winning and they feel like they come first and 
all I can do right now is just grow it by going to events and appearing and doing stuff like that. Um, I wanted to make a point too on the live event thing because you reminded me when I was lit, when I was little, <laughs> when I was younger, probably was smaller, but in my twenties, like I think my first event was perform better in 2004 mm-hmm. and I graduated college in 2003. You're not rich. You could barely afford shit. I did not take vacations. So any like vacation time was spent at courses. I literally would like borrow toiletries from my mom, like to be able to afford to go to these. And like, I, yeah, I took my first vacation this year, last year, 2022. <laughs> Where'd you go? Panama. Yeah. See, that's like well-deserved, right? Like my vacations were going to the events and I made a decision. Like I wanted to speak on stage at NSCA before I was 30. So when I was 29, I, I got to do like one of their hands-on sessions. Oh, hell but yeah. it doesn't happen if you're not at the damn event. Now we had a lot of fun in Vegas and there's things I can never repeat in public of what we did. I'm telling you women miss, missed out because like there was a huge ratio of men to women and literally strength coaches like my girlfriends at the time would be like, I'm going to go to your seminars because there's like all these hot Jack dudes. And I'm like <laughs> telling you it's better than Cancun. Like it was, you know, and now we have a lot more female coaches, which is great, but it was just funny back then. But going to those events again, you don't see it as an expense, like the investment I made and, and just sacrificing, not going to party my ass off with friends that I don't even talk to to this day because they don't really align with your goals was so worth it. And it's very hard to get people to attend events now because they consume so much online. If anything, like the the overwhelming feedback from Silverback was like the connections that these guys made, guys who usually are not perceived as the ones making friendships and connections. But Jay, Jay Ferrugia was so um, like, he, he, made the statement very, very loudly about the fact that if you don't leave here with a new crew, you're doing something wrong. Yep. And I feel like that is such a profound statement because like, look at, we were able to connect that Swiss. Like if exactly. you don't meet in person, it's it's just so different like than a Zoom call. We can do a Zoom call any day of the week. It's still mm-hmm. gonna be different energy and different everything totally. than person. So that that's just like the statement I wanted to make is like, I understand that, you know, coaches may be watching this and thinking like, you know, they're only making so much money and they can only allocate funds to so many things. Really take inventory as to what your spending habits are. And even if it's just one event a year, it doesn't have to be multiple like you and I, you'll get there. But even if it's one, choose that one with all you have. Like I'm going to immerse myself. I'm going to go to every social. I'm not going to hide in my room and get Uber Eats. Don't do that till you're a speaker. No, I'm kidding. But like, those are the reasons why, because that's how you make the connections you do. You know, was so. the one thing I regretted about Swiss is I couldn't find someone to go train arms with me. What? What? Yeah, no one wanted to train. I was like, anyone want to train? Want to train? It was during the lunch hour on the Saturday. I was like, I guess I'm going to train arms by myself. That's awful. I know. I know. I had a great pump too. Um, I have one more serious question before... Yeah. I have a couple of quick hit ones. One of the things that, you know, I, we're kind of at a, like I said, I'm the bottleneck of my business and I, I feel like, you know, I don't want to give up coaching and, and I'm, I'm sure I am very similar to a lot of other, the coaches who will watch this in that in order to become that business person, in some sense, you have to divorce yourself from you as the business. You're still the face of silverback coaching, but if you have other coaches doing the actual coaching, how do you manage that dynamic when trying to sell the coaching to the public? So it's a good question because a lot of people attach themselves to me or they know me and they want to work with me. But I I could say that like, we're, we're hiring somebody to close calls because again, that's also something that I need to not be spending time on, but I've been doing the majority of the application calls. And I can say like 
maybe there's two or three people within this year that were like, I want to work with you. Luckily, because they see on social how my team and I get along, the results that they can deliver, but also the fact that I have no issues saying like, yeah, Ryan works with this person and Brian is doing this and Jim is doing this because it's not about me anymore. It's not about what results I can get anymore. It's about us as a team is what we can achieve. And we do three-way messaging with our coaching. So I say like, I'm there. If you need to talk to me, I'm available for you. It's not like I'm untouchable and you can never access me and all of that if you, if you coach with us. But it's a better experience because you have someone that literally the only thing they're doing is dedicating their time to you. If you get me, you're not going to be happy. I might respond within three days. I don't know if I remember. Like, you mm -hmm. know, I kind of paint that picture because I will say yes to everybody and that's a problem. And it's a joke among my team members and Anna, especially who her role is evolving as well. She's like, we, we need you to not say yes to everybody. So I have trouble saying no, mm -hmm. you know, my heart will break or I'll, I'll stay on a sales call or sales call application call for like an hour and a half with a veteran who has PTSD and he's crying. And I'm literally like, it's okay. I have all the time in the world. Like granted, that's probably a kind thing to do, but it's not a good, good thing for my time. And I would do that all day long if I could, if I didn't need to actually feed people and, and make money and everything. So it's almost like I have no choice other than to um, teach people how things work, but I'm also very honest and transparent. Like I will be involved, but you will not be talking to me every single day, right. but you, you have the capability to message me or whatever, and I'll be there for you, but I'm not going to hold your hand. I trust fully any of my team members to be right. able to do that. And just recently, Anna, who's been my chief of staff, her role will evolve into more of a CEO where I can now relinquish control over certain things, which for me gives me relief because I need my own management. I'm very much a visionary. I am not the integrator and I need direction. So if she steers the ship, the ship will stay afloat. If I steer the ship, it will absolutely sink. <laughs> so also like, you know, pivoting the fact that like, hey, you may not make all the decisions. Like, obviously I have final say, mm -hmm. but having somebody else decide things is like, it's so liberating. And it's not something you think of as a coach. Like, what do you mean? I don't have, you know, the ability to make decisions in my business. Actually, Think of what a CEO actually is. Most people think the CEO is the person that started the business and is still running the business and blah, blah, blah. If you ask like Elon Musk certain questions about buying Teslas, he probably can't answer it, but his CEO can. Mm -hmm. Or nobody really knows like who the CEO of Ford is. Like, we don't know. But he's mm -hmm. probably doing really good things and running that business. So the business has to run. Somebody has to be the face of it. You learn all this shit as your business grows, but it's not things that you learn in your strength and conditioning degree. Oh my God. <laughs> Listen, I can coach one hell of a squat business. It's been learning on the fly. And I'm just honestly grateful to be in a position where I can kind of help people avoid the mistakes that I made early on. And, you know, that's kind of how I approach it. Uh, but enough seriousness <laughs> in time for the silliness. What is the scariest lift that you've ever done? The scariest lift? Fuck. Um, uh, I'm so bad at these questions, like super on the fly. Oh, get ready, because there's a few of them. Oh, God. <laughs> I think uh, it, it, I injured myself squatting last year, and... Any, anytime I max out with squats now, it actually is scary. So I'm trying to get over that. It's not really that exciting an answer, but that's it. That's okay. It was scary. It's all good. It was like, I, and it wasn't even like a back injury. Like most typical people, it was this weird glute injury that literally like, like what was the shooting pain? And I thought it was like piriformis and stuff like that. And so now every time I squat, I feel like my ass is going to cramp like really badly. Um, yeah, it brought me to my knees. I was actually at Jail Holdsworth's gym in Ohio. And yeah. 
squatting like off a plane, like really stupid. It was freezing. I was, I was, I had an appointment with Serrano. I could barely stand. Like I go in his office, I'm like leaning over the table and he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm like, don't worry about it. But yeah. That's not why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's one album you could listen to with no skips? Oh. Oh, Pink. Okay. Okay. I just love I it. figured. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. It's on it's on brand. It is on brand. I was actually asked if I was her three times this week, which is really weird. Like very strange. I'd take her bank account. Uh yeah, happily. Yeah. You know, yeah. I take it as a compliment, but I was like, do I look more like her this week than uh, any other week? Or am I like manifesting this or yeah, I don't know. You plus five at a dinner table, dead or alive, who are they? Uh, me, my mom, Eric Serrano, <laughs> um, uh, Luke, definitely. And uh, Two more. shit. Pink, just because okay. I can't think of anybody else. One more. These are questions I need time, Paul. Like, nope. <laughs> I will say that regardless of this last one, you're the only one who's picked exclusively people they know. Oh, really, Dana and yeah. Bailey? I mean, I everyone really I've everyone I've asked this question, they're like, Jesus Christ, Mother Teresa, like random people. And you're the only one who picked people that they know and consider friends. So I think that, listen, that speaks, that speaks to, you know, you've got your people, right? Yes. Your circle will get smaller as you get older, but it will get stronger. Oh, man, tell me about it. I have like two <laughs> friends and one of them is my wife. Dude, one's my dog. I have three dogs. So <laughs> most important question of the day, who's one person you would like to see on this podcast with the caveat that you have to help me get them on the podcast. Oh, I will 100% get you Serrano on this podcast. Oh, wow. We have helpers. I mean, you know, plenty of people that can also facilitate that, but it can happen. It just, he needs a handler to get him on Zoom and set up, but we can do it. <laughs> that would be such a funny conversation. We got him to Silverback. Dylan helped the whole thing because literally like two weeks before or no at Swiss Eric's like so when should I fly in I said we already took care of it don't worry like just show up two weeks out like you're asking me now it was so funny did he but wear cargo pants he did and then I got him a t-shirt that says Jesus is the ultimate deadlifter and he put that on over the shirt he was wearing and Yo, he's a trip. Now, he he gave me permission to talk about this publicly, so I'm not like mm -hmm. throwing him on the bus, but I had a sex toy company sponsor Silverback. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> okay. Now, there's a reason because okay. remember, I have very discreet conversations with guys about sensitive things, and I'm a, I'm a freak. So I talk about, you know, all perverted shit, and so we talk about like prostate massage and anal play and like sex clubs and all that stuff so okay. i met this couple at one of bedros's masterminds and they own a sex toy company where they use um ingredient not ingredients but like the chemicals or whatever they use are not toxic so it's not stuff that you buy off amazon and stuff like that and i was like oh my god number one on brand number two it's like having body wash without hormone disruptors like right sex toys yeah. that are not toxic so i was like can you guys please like come to my event none of us knew how it would go over in our feedback forms which are anonymous people rave about them and they were so grateful that i gave them purpose because they try to get the message out to men about how this can help their marriage and their life and there's toys just for guys that the guys like loved it they came up to the table they bought stuff they like they were all into it and they said it was because I talked about it as if it was already normal. And I was like, how fucking cool is that? So the reason I'm bringing this up is because they gave away like hundreds of dollars of toys to like different attendees and stuff like that. 
And they gave me like a whole BDSM kit and then like a huge box of all these random toys, like some strange vibrator, anal beads, whatever. Serrano looks through my box of toys and he starts telling me how everything works. And I'm like, you don't know how to use Instagram. How the fuck do you know how any of these work? And he's like, I'm I'm Latino, like blah, blah, blah. And he starts explaining it to like me and Dylan and all that. And I'm like, this is mind blowing. And I was like, can I tell people about this? And he's like, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, you have to ask him. I'm going to ask him. Ask about <laughs> ass play. <laughs> Got it. Check mark. Yeah. Like literally he will love it. He loves that shit because people think he's like, you know, into Jesus and everything, but it's like, yeah, he is. But also they're the biggest he's a freak. I went to Catholic school 11 years. I know how we all operate. Like, trust me. It's not what you think. It's a whole, it's a, it's a front. It's a front. I think, but very I think that was the best ending to a podcast I've ever had. Um, <laughs> Ali, thank you so much for joining. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, anyone, if you need to follow Ali, I will have her links in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. Any thank any you. last words? No, I just appreciate you having me on and thank you for doing the work that you do. Oh, it's my pleasure. Take care, guys. <laughs>